everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm Diana, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. Today, we have a special guest with us, Sean Copeland. Sean is the founder of Boex International, a blockchain supply chain service provider, and he's here today to tell us more about his involvement with uh, the inner workings of the internet and the supply chain. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Diana. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Sean, I am thrilled to have you on uh, one of our podcasts. Uh, as as you know, uh, the audience certainly doesn't, but I am enamored. Uh, well, uh, I'm enamored with people that get into the detail, the inner workings of the internet. And I think when you and I first met, I was telling you the story about when I was at Chicago Tribune and I was trying to get more than one domain name assigned and I had to write this particular guy and say, hey, uh, really, it's a complex thing that we're planning on doing and we need a bunch of URLs, uh, uh, names assigned. And, and the response was, well, you only get one. And so I sent him a box of computer paper that was really all kind of BS. But I got all 33 domain names. And when I told you that story, I don't know if you remember this, you said, I know who that was. And, <laughs> and, and I believe you did. And he's since passed. But uh, back in the, in the 90s, when I started to get into, or late 80s, early 90s, when I got into the internet, uh, really, there was one guy who kept the domain name addresses and the associated uh, name assignments in his head. And uh, and we've come, it seems to me like that was yesterday, but we've come a long way. And I'm just curious, you've been, and if you could tell uh, us a little bit about how you got involved with the inner workings of the world of the internet and sort of your perspective on where we've come since those, you know, late eighties, early nineties. The, the heyday, the heyday. Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so the fellow you're talking about, John Postel. Yes. Yes. So he went around and he determined who was going to uh, do certain functions within the internet. And somewhere along the line, he ended up, uh, assigning the Virgin Islands to uh, a person that would become my mentor, uh, Peter DeWonk. And over time, uh, Peter and I were doing business on credit card processing, uh, payments online uh, in the 1990s. And I took an interest in what Peter was doing with the VI. And when he passed away, I kind of stepped up into that role uh, to help his widow um, run run the TLD, and since then I've gotten involved in the CCNSO uh, and ICANN and regularly attend um, meetings and sessions and partake in internet governance. Uh, in fact, I was on a call at 5 a.m. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could tell people what ICANN is, I, I think I can even get the acronym still, but if you could tell our audience what that's about. ICANN is the Internet Corporation of Assigned Names and Numbers. Uh, it is a special corporation out of California uh, that, in a sense, oversees um, how the Internet operates behind the scenes. So you go to your browser, you put in a, uh, a URL, and you think, great, it's going to get there, no problem. 
the people behind the scenes uh, around the world are making sure that that is actually happening, right? So we do this nice service, uh, some of it uh, pay for, some of it for free, that just lets the internet work. And so I interact with all of those people. Well, it, your history has always been interesting to me. And every time we get together, it's it's always fascinating where our conversations go. But one of the common threads, because the the work I've been doing over the last, you know, less than 10 years has been in in the uh, uh, the product side of uh, uh, information. So the the digital side of, of, of products and what's it's a little bit interesting to me that there isn't more maturity in that space. But if you look at just the ability to connect one company with another through the Internet, that capability has not been there very long. Right. I mean, you you're a young guy. I'm still a fairly young guy. And yet we can trace our roots to uh people like uh, John Gage or Vince Cerf and, you know, people who were, were my mentors or even the way you got involved with, with ICANN and the Virgin Islands and, and got to the fundamentals of the internet that way. So there aren't a whole lot of people that really remember those early days. Most people think of the internet as well, that's how I get to Amazon and that's how I get a product. And I look at that and I talk about it on this show pretty often that that is just a really surface level use of the Internet, in my view. And what I'd like to get your thoughts on is, is how mature do you think the average company is when it comes to connecting and actually connecting in a more fundamental way than marketing? with another company. And by that, what I mean is you take something like SAP, uh, an ERP system that works inside the four walls of a company. I don't think we're anywhere near that level of sophistication between companies. And my contention is that the internet will pro provide and does provide the that underlying infrastructure that we're not quite using between companies when it comes to trade. And so kind of a broad topic, but I'll let you pick any any angle you want to respond to that. But I'm really curious, you know, how how mature are we as organizations with use of the Internet in more fundamental ways? I'm going to say not very much. The, the biggest single impediment is security concerns. So if I'm a CTO or I'm a CEO and I say, hey, I want to uh, connect up with my my supplier over here your your cfo is probably going to have a heart attack if you just say let's plug together right which people think with the internet because again the web browser and the easy i'm going to amazon to go shopping so well the the infrastructure is there to make it happen the mindset is still trying to come to terms with how to actually do it and how do you ensure corporate security um, when you're dealing with a supplier or somebody that you're supplying um, or even a, a friendly competitor, right? Because you don't want your trade data uh, necessarily out in the open. And invariably, because people are 
trying to push along without thinking about all the consequences, what happens? You get security breaches and information put out that we don't want out there. So security seems a very fundamental issue. And it, it's interesting that, that that's where you start because it, you're, you're right. It, it's about trust, if you will. And, and if you look at, at trade, uh, as it's evolved over the last 5,000 years, trust is the common element. Once you have trust, you can do different things with those you're trading with. So credit, the fundamental element of credit is trust or trust plus verify. Uh, so how close are we to creating levels of trust that businesses, and when I talk about business, of course, we can talk about any size, but let's just pick on the enterprise for a bit. So, you know, the the, the Boeing size companies, uh, what is their, how close is, is a large company to gaining fundamental trust between its trade partners? If you talk to the large companies prior to the pandemic, they would say to you three to five years. <laughs> no, what I love about that is that you gate that with the pandemic. You know, um, but, you know, everyone's in a rush to get there now. Um, yeah. You know, and, and there are solutions for that. And I would argue to you that the blockchain provides a solution for it. Um, not necessarily in the way that it's typically implemented, but it does give you a way to allocate trust between two parties electronically um, that you don't necessarily get in the stateless environment of the internet as people see it on the web browser. So I know a little bit about blockchain and, and truth be told, the company I, I run today, Venzi, was founded based on, on some blockchain elements. And, and we still have those as a part of our our company and our tech framework, but they're not what we lead with because blockchain for me is almost like a, a wrapper. It's not, it's not the, uh, it's not the essence of what we do with product data, but your company, uh, Boex, you get more into the details of, of blockchain. So if you could give kind of a, you know, a two minute, uh, uh, why is blockchain important and that it's not different than the internet itself. It's it's something that allows trust to be woven into the internet. Sure. So for us, what we've done is we've created a platform where you can combine um, the exact details of legal and financial ownership of a cargo uh, within this electronic document structure. And then what's really important is we can transmutate that to paper. And the moment that we do that, we're able to take that 5,000 years of trade knowledge and law and take an electronic document and make it a legal document without having to go back and ask for forgiveness with regulators five or six years down the road when they catch up. So it's, uh, I'm the son of a lawyer, and uh, so I, I could go into our our bookshelf at home and read about torts and, uh, you know, law and all of, all of that. And, uh, I even took a couple of law classes along the way. And one of the things that was always very interesting to me was that 
law and law globally defines when, and it's a, a fundamental thing about trade, when you drop the package on the dock, it changes ownership. And if there's a windstorm, as the pallet mover is moving the thing to the dock and the windstorm blows the product back off the dock and it destroys itself, ownership didn't change hands. And I, I'm always fascinated at this idea of upending uh, hundreds of years uh, of tradition and law with blockchain auditable evidence of when exchange really happened. And I think that that's, and it, what's interesting, people don't talk about this today. I think it is, it's, it's the most profound thing to happen, and it is happening, the most profound thing in trade globally in 5,000 years. And I don't know that people can really, is it because people can't fit it in their head we don't talk about it? Or why do you think it is not more discussed? I think t part of it is people can't comprehend it uh, at a level. Part of it is over 5,000 years, there's become a silo mentality within the supply mm. chain. So everybody operates, uh, you know, their little ecoverse, and they don't really go beyond it. So if you're dealing with a port, you know, a port is worried about the ships coming in and the trucks going out the gate. And once that's done, they don't care anymore. Okay? And yet, really, they need to. You know, if you were to look at a, a port and it was getting notified about information on a, on a steady basis on ships coming in, trains, whatever, you know, you could adapt a system almost like with the uh, aircraft industry where the ship doesn't actually leave a port until the berth is actually ready for it at the other end. Timing, you know, a, a little bit of analytics there, but that's going to speed up the supply chain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it requires a port to think like that. Well, it. I've always had. I never told you this, but I. I've always had this. Uh, this vision that you and I should rent some office space in Singapore that has view to the port, which is, if you've been, it's a fascinating port. You and I should just sit there. We'll rent a couch as well. And we will watch all of the movement through the port of Singapore, which is one of the busiest ports in the universe. And we will just pick out all the inefficiencies and then we'll go <laughs> and rectify them. But the only part, part the only uh, uh, value in our office is the couch we have looking out on the port. Uh, and, and we'll just keep a whiteboard and, and some paper and we'll just make notes and, and, and and I say that in jest, but I, I truly do believe that that with the types of things that can be enabled now with with trust uh, and with better flow of information between companies, that I don't know if it's the next five years, ten years, fifteen years, but if you thought that uh, there was a lot of change given the internet emergence to the consumer population since 1990. Uh, if you thought over the last 30 years there was a lot of change, I think the next 30 years is going to make that seem like a joke. I, I agree. In fact, I would go so much to say that sometime in the next five or six years, the supply chain is going to become sexy to the investor class. 
Ah. <laughs> that uh, the fact that you're using that term uh, sexy is uh, is is uh, is really entertaining to me. I couldn't agree more. I want to do uh, uh, certainly, you know, we barely scratched the surface in in this episode, but I want to do more time with you, uh, not just because uh, we share some internet origin, but our view uh, has our view of the future has really been informed by what we've learned over the last thirty years, and uh, so it's uh, always entertaining to talk to you, Sean, and I look forward to. Uh, uh, to talking to you again soon. Diana, if you want to help us wrap it up. Sure. Thanks so much, Sean, for joining us again. And hopefully we'll get you back for another episode soon. Before you go, can you just tell people where they can find you, where they can learn more about BOAX and get connected? Sure. Uh, if you go to boax.biz, so B-O-E-X dot B-I-Z, that's where you'll find us. And you can send us emails uh, there as well. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. We will be back again next week with more. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, intelligent product content distribution for enterprise commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at Venzi.com. That's V-E-N-Z-E-E.com.